So that is uh, Rocky One, which I didn't realize this, but um, Rocky One and Rocky Balboa, which is like Rocky 13 or whatever it is, in the same way. It's like nobody knows who wins in the end. I mean, I guess, I guess the uh, what's his name, Apollo Creed. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Apollo Creed uh, won, but then there's a rematch, right? In the second one. So, I've forgotten all about that. But you notice there at the end, Rocky, Rocky wins because he's a real man. We're going to talk about why. Uh, there at the end, you see, he calls out, whatever he's saying, right? I mean, crazy. And um, Rocky gets, gets the girl, right? And he marries the girl. Um, and so during this series, we're going to talk about fighting, and not fighting necessarily in the physical sense, though sometimes you might have to do that. Um, we're going to talk about what to fight for, how to fight, um, and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you're a guy, and it doesn't matter whether you're a shy guy, whether you're outgoing, whether you're an introvert, whether you're an extrovert, every guy loves a good fight. Every man loves a good fight. It's why uh, MMA is so popular, so popular right now. Uh, it's why football soaring, right? It's at the top of this thing, and uh, we want to see that big monster hit, right? We want to see that over and over and over again, and we have. ESPN loves to show that one hit that pops the guys down off. Um, it's why in the schoolyard playground, uh, everyone gathers around. When there's a fight and the chance, fight, 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 you know, that chance starts. We love that good fight. Otherwise, everybody would just kind of walk on and walk away from a schoolyard fight, right? And so, oh, what is that? It's just a fight. No big deal. All right. That's enough. <laughs> now, as we grow older and, uh, and more mature, more mature as guys, right, uh, we act like we grow up. But let me play this clip for you, and I will prove you still love a good fight. Go ahead. Here's Ventura, RBI single in the first. Watch out. Look at this. Men, especially men, in a certain way. 
that is to fight. That is to fight. Now, yes. in school, we primarily fight to build up our reputation or to tear others down. Okay? That's what's going on here. You got, you got Ralphie, and he's all ticked off, and it finally boils over, right? That's the way it works for some men. But as we grow older and, and hopefully wiser, we learn to fight for what is right. All right? Cue the Beastie Boys song. Real men learn, right? I almost played it, but they, they'd sing it differently, and I was just going to play those, those five words. Uh, real men learn to fight for what is right regardless of the consequences. Now, probably some of you, especially maybe some of the ladies, um, and especially uh, in the past, I know that I've had this question, well, why can't we just talk about it? Why can't we just talk it out, right? What about diplomacy on the personal level? And that's fine. Men, men are okay with that. But here's the thing about guys. We have this innate sense of knowing when something is just talk and it's not going to go anywhere, right? We, we have this innate sense of when, when we're like, this ain't going to happen, right? For instance... How many of us think that uh, Iran and North Korea really want to talk this whole nuclear thing out? Not too, how many of us think that they're just stalling for a nuclear weapon, right? I mean, that's what, that's what we, we look at that and we're like, eh, I don't know about that, right? So sometimes there needs to be a physical aspect that needs to be applied. Now... I'm bringing it on a personal level, okay? I'm not trying to get all political or anything like that. But you do see in the, in the Bible, uh, when God calls Israel to war, it is always at the right time. When God does not call Israel to war and, it, and they don't have his blessing, it's a bad deal. And people die left and right. Now, here's the thing. Sin can easily corrupt that innate sense of, of when to fight. All right? Anger can come on too soon. And it can cause us to fight when it's not necessary. Fear can set in and it can cause us to run when God is actually telling us to fight. Uh, and so today I want to start out by talking about initiating a fight. How do you initiate a fight? You're like, wow, this is, I don't know about this message, right? Just like, he is actually telling all right, so here's the thing. As a guy, single or married, father or not, dating or not, you should be fighting for at least one thing in your life, and that is the spiritual aspect of your life. There's four parts to every person, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. The physical, it degrades as you get older. Um, look at my hair, right? Eli, the other day, goes, Daddy, Daddy, bend down, bend down, bend down. And I'm like, and I said, and I did this, and he goes, your spot's getting bigger. <laughs> that, that's getting bigger. And he goes, what, what does that mean? I'm like, go away. So, um, my knees, I've had x-rays done on my knees, and they are square. They're not round like they should be, because um, I don't know what it is. He wanted to start giving me, he told me I needed a double knee replacement surgery, and I was like, it don't hurt, dude. <laughs> so, no. I said, well, at, least, at least you need shots. And I'm like, it doesn't hurt. I don't, I don't think, when it hurts, I'll come see it. 
you know. But what had happened is I had started running. Uh, this was a couple of years back. I had started running again, and I just felt things grinding in there. And still, I can feel things. So my body, I mean, it's just falling apart. My shoulder, both of my uh, shoulders, uh, I can when I'm when I'm working out, I'm on the bench. I can come down to here, but if I go to here, I can't move. Like I can't. There's no. There literally is no power for me because there's something going on in, in both of my shoulders. I've got tendonitis in my elbows. I am like a 70 year old man right now. Nick, Nick, Nick's over there going, please, you know, come on, man. And so and just wait, just wait. When you get older, these things happen. So, so the the, the physical degrades. I'm 36 years old, right? That's that's still young. <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to happen to me after this. This is nuts. Physical degrades. The mental, it degrades, or it implodes, or it tricks you, right? Um, anxiety attacks, right? Those, those occur a lot. Uh, your brain, it's, it starts to slow down as you get older, especially um, when you see retired people start to take off and watch TV. Your brain starts to slow down. Confusion. Anybody ever been confused over a decision, right? Your brain can kind of fool you. Um, emotions. Emotions are a roller coaster. One day you're going up, the next day you're going down. One day everything's wonderful, the next day everything's falling apart, right? Uh, the, the thing is, all of the emotions, your brain, they can be untrustworthy. And here's the thing. One day, we all have one we all have the same problem, one problem. We're all going to die one day. It's the matter, as a matter of fact, everybody passes away. Now, the physical, mental, and emotional die with your body, but your spirit, the spiritual, the soul, is eternal. And yet, it seems like that is the aspect of our lives that we focus on the least so much. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we, we do all this stuff and this and that and this and that and this and that, and we get to the end of the day and we're like, man, I should have spent more time with God. Or I should have spent time with God. Right? Why is that? Why is that? Here's one. Believe it or not, there's a war going on behind the scenes. Behind the scenes in the, the realm of the spiritual for your soul. Um, we're going to talk more about this in a couple of weeks, but I want you to know what's going on in the background as we start talking about this fighting. Um, so the first thing we do is we get into the fight. Now, this applies to men and women, okay? Um, but it really applies to guys because we have this huge role in the fight. We're supposed to lead in the fight. And there's a reason that you see very few women going into combat in the Bible. You've got a few, but... Very few. There's a reason that up until recently, women haven't been on the front lines in war at all. Let me ask, ladies, do you want to be on the front lines? I mean, there's, there's a, there's a, not, not very many, right? And so, what we're talking about has nothing to do with sexism, okay? And I want everybody to know that. Uh, it has to do with a man's role to initiate the fight for what is right. When we were living in Columbus, Georgia, I was 12, 12 it was when I was from 12 to 14. We had a go-kart track that was right down the road from us. And my my sister and I went down the go-kart track with my dad. And nobody was there. It was it was a, a weekday and we were just having fun. 
goofing off. And we were in line, and the people in line in front of us, there were, there were five of these little kids. They weren't kids. They were older than me. Um, they were probably in their early 20s. And um, they were messing with Mark. And I mean, really messing with him, pushing him around, hitting him hard. My dad got fed up with it. And he, and he confronted him. And he said, hey, stop. And I don't remember exactly how he said it. And, you know, it was probably more forceful than that. And one of the kids, he was smoking, one of the kids turned around and took a cigarette and put it right here in my dad's face. And my dad just stood there, and I just stood there, and I was me and my sister were just kind of backing up away. And he just, and the guy just laughed, and was like, I'm just kidding with you, man, you know, like that, you know. And, and later on, I kind of realized it was a little gang. I mean, like, literally a gang that had tattoos and all that stuff on And back then, that was a big deal, you know, now, now you see that. Um, and I, I said, Dad, later on in the car, I said, Dad, what were you going to do? There were five of them. And he said, well, I was going to grab that first kid, and my dad has these pretty good with his hands. He said, I was just going to grab the first kid, grab both of his hands, put my knee where it didn't belong, and drop him to the ground as soon as possible, but push him back into the others before, because we were in those, 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 Six Flags type turnstiles, and and, and and just push them back into the others, and, and get and get you guys out of there. And I'm and I'm sitting there thinking, why did you mess with them at all, right? But I realized later on, he was just doing what was right, and he didn't it didn't care about the consequences because the kid needed help. And so uh, I want to introduce you to uh, a guy who was an amazing fighter and who initiated a fight. Uh, and I've talked about this before. He's, he's my favorite. This is my favorite story, favorite character, um, real life historical character in the Old Testament. And uh, it's in 2 Kings 22, 1 through 20. Second uh, Kings 22, 1 through 20. And uh, it's, it's his name is Josiah. And so in uh, verses 1 through 3, it says Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for. 31 years. Now, the kings before him, his father, his grandfather, all these guys, they were scumbuckets together. The Lord called him, uh, called them evil. Alright? Where are you taking that, Mike? <laughs> the Lord called him evil. Um, not Josiah, but everyone before him. And so, uh, it says in verse 2, his mother's name was Jedediah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Bozkath. Uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, son of Meshuzalem, to the temple of the Lord. Okay? So here's what we have. We have Josiah. And for 18 years, Josiah has known about David. And he says, I'm going to follow on David because... My father, my grandfather, all of these people, they're just wicked. Now, here's the thing. They had this oral history, right? And it was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And the culture was one of this. It's not like our culture. Our culture is a visual history. We don't believe it unless we see it. And even now, with the movie effects and all that, we're kind of like, eh, I don't know if that YouTube video is right, you know? 
That, that, have y'all seen that video of that guy jumping on the manta ray recently? You know, some people are saying it's fake, some people are saying it's real. Either way, that thing is about to eat. So, uh, anyway, so we're, we're this visual culture in history um, where they were an oral culture. And, you know, we think, oh, well, they probably tainted it. It was not twisted, it was not lied about, it was not uh, exaggerated or tampered with in any way because they understood how vitally important these stories were to Israel's history, whether they were good or bad, so that they could learn from them. Okay? So this is how Josiah knew about David and all the other kings that followed him. Now, we're about to see, I'm going to skip over quite a few verses, but let me introduce you to, to a few characters real quick. Um, Now, I don't know if y'all know this, but I am uh, actually an amazing artist, um, and my handwriting is impeccable as well. Uh, so, I'm going to draw, we'll just pretend like this is a map of Jerusalem, alright? Looking from the top, sure. And uh, so you've got the temple over here, not the, there's Christ wasn't there yet, but anyway, um, so you've got the temple here, and then let's say uh, you got Josiah's house here. Alright, so uh, there's a couple of other people that need to be introduced. Uh, one is Josiah, right? We've got Josiah, he's living in his house here. There he is. And uh, then you've got uh, a guy named Shaphan. He's the secretary. Shaphan, right. And so Shaphan... Uh, Draw him here. He's the secretary, kind of like a, a secretary on a board, okay, board of directors. Um, and he is told by Josiah, I want you, Shaphan, uh, to go to the temple and give them money and collect money uh, that the temple gets and get it cleaned up because it's, it's dirty, nasty, it's never really used. Alright, so Shaphan goes and does that, and he tells Hilkiah. Hilkiah is the priest, right? Here's Hilkiah. This is Shaphan. Alright, that's Josiah. He doesn't need a name. Um, and he tells Hilkiah, he says, get it cleaned up. Let's get this thing taken care of. So Hilkiah does that. And in the process, Hilkiah finds the book of the law. The book of the law was... All of the commandments that Moses had written down. Not just the ten, but all the other ones that we look back and go, well, that's kind of weird. Why don't we follow that anymore? What's going on with that? And we have all these crazy questions when we read it, and then we shut the Bible, and we're like, I don't want to mess with it anymore. All right? That's what he finds. Hilkiah then goes back to Shaphan, and he says, look what I found. Shaphan takes the book of the law and reads it to Josiah. Now, Verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. This seems like, okay, well, why don't you do that, right? This was what happened when they mourned, when they, when they were upset, when they had, oh my goodness, this revelation of, I am a horrible person. And so they would tear their clothes, they would put on sackcloth, which is basically a burlap sack with a head hole cut in it, and arms, and they would sit by a fire, literally for days, mourning. 
We have it personally, but not as a, as a culture. And this is the king. This is the king. Now, what's going on here? Notice what it says again. When he heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. God's words in this book affect you. They affect you.
He's doing it because the other team has done something wrong, right? In this case, the Braves hit that guy because when he was up at bat, he took a nice long backswing and he hit the catcher in the face. Intentional or not, had to get retribution. Had to get, you had to, the hitter charges the mound because he thinks that what the pitcher has done is wrong. Alright? That's this this is guys exacting rights for wrongs and all this stuff. Now, you can see how this can get out of hand pretty quick, right? You can see how how it, 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 we as humans go eye for an eye, two through, you know. Baseball's pretty good about, you know, at the end of the game or at the end of the series, it's over. Unless it's like the Red Sox Yankees feud, you know, sometimes there's there's that one. Um, and that's just sin. But what you can see, what? <laughs> no, I don't mean Red Sox Yankees. I'm talking about the whole thing that's going on. Whatever. Um, but you can see the roots of this righteous defense that God has placed in a man through a good old fight in baseball. You can see that righteous. And so these words changed Josiah, and there was a physical physical effect that he took upon him. Verse twelve. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, son, okay, so a bunch of people. Verse 13, go and acquire, go and acquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. So not only will a real man bring effect, not only will it affect him, not only will he bring effect, but he will follow it through. Josiah didn't just rip his clothes and weep and get back to life. Alright, he's not like, oh man, that is horrible. Well, back to the daily grind. And notice what he's not doing. He's not just inquiring here. This isn't just trying to find this isn't just trying to find out if they can get out of this punishment. What he is doing is he is trying to find out if there's any way that he can make it right. If there's any way he can make it right. Um, I had a, when I, when I was growing up in the Grange, Georgia, where I was born, there was a kid, and his name was Tory Falk. F-A-U-L-K. That's right. And he was a year or two older than me, and we got into a fight every week. I mean, literal, like, fighting, you know, just wailing on each other. Sometimes I would win, sometimes he would win. Um, but I look back and I'm like, what were we fighting about, you know? I mean, he was a thug and punk, but I don't even know what we were just fighting, right? In junior high... I tried out for baseball. Now, in junior high, I was the size of Ty, okay? I mean, I I weighed maybe a buck, right, okay? And it was just like, oh my goodness. But I wanted to see how I could stand up. Maybe they would put me out a wide receiver. I was pretty fast. They did not. It was Columbus, Georgia in junior high, and some of these boys weighed in at 225 pounds. They were over 200. I, I mean, 
And they would line me up against the, the linebackers. They lined me up. I mean, the coaches were just masochistic and just having fun. And they would, they, I'd be on the ground, I mean, just face up. And they'd grab me by the helmet and go, what are you doing here, boy? You know, and I'm like, I'm trying to play football, but you're not teaching me anything. You're just lining me up, you know. And there was one kid, and he was actually a year younger than me, but he was 100 pounds bigger. And when I say bigger, I don't mean like, fat, I mean like he'd been working out. He, he had to have been three or four years older than me, even though he was a grade below me, that kind of thing, you know, check his driver's license kind of thing. And he just kept taunting me and taunting me and taunting me. And I just ignored him and ignored him and ignored him until it was the Thursday of the practice. I, I made it through the first cut, and I think it was just because they wanted to pummel me into the ground some more, the coaches. But I made it through the first cut, and it was Thursday, and he, we were all walking back into the locker room, and he was just on me. And I had had enough. I just got sick of him. And I just turned around, and I said, come on, let's go. And, you know, those words, they come out of your mouth, and then as soon as you say them, you're like, oh, this is not going to be good, right? <laughs> And, and we got into it, and I just started wailing on him, and he wailed on me, and he wailed on me more and more and more. And I ended up with a black guy, and he ended up with stitches. Yeah, because I had braces, and he was punching me in the face, right? Nonetheless, that next year, all he wanted to do was be my buddy. I wanted, I wanted to throw down with him in the hallway every single time. He, but he literally would come up to me, hey, Jason, how you doing, man? Hey, man, were you doing anything this weekend? I'm like, get away from me, you know? I mean, the, 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 the emotional. But here's what, I, here's what I realized. He respected me out of all of that. He respected me, and the 100 pounds less that I was, he came up to me. I didn't want anything to do with this kid. And he came up to me constantly. What's going on, man? Hey, Jason, how you doing? I'm like, get away from me. Let's go! You know, let's go now! That's what I'm thinking. But then I'm also thinking, I don't want to do that again. And it's the fights that were unnecessary and selfish, right, that we have the most regrets about. My, my Tory Falk fights. And I'm like, why were you fighting? But it's the fights that we stand up for ourselves or for others that make us feel the most proud of whether we won or lost, whether we, whether we won or lost. Um, and it's because you did something to try to make it right. That's, that's what makes a man. Verse 15 through 17. <clears throat> Jump down there. So they go visit this, this uh, prophetess, Hola, right? So Josiah says, go, go figure this out. So we've got Hola here, right? And she's a prophetess, so she's got long hair. Um, and they go down to her and they say, what can we do? What can we do? Can you talk to God? Because God has been non-existent. They don't have the book of the law. They don't have any of that stuff. They don't really know what they're doing except for going upon the oral traditions. Okay? Verse 15 through, verse 15 through 17 says, She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, that's Josiah, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read. 
because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Bummer, right? I mean, we're, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to work it out. And this lady says, it's all going to burn to the ground. And, you know, God has the right to judge sin. No sin will ever go unpunished. And so she's absolutely right. But for us, this is why the cross, this is why Jesus is so amazing. Because every sin that we ever committed, every sin that is ever against us, that, that we have done, that is now you know, our blood, it's taken by him on the cross. It's taken by him on the cross. And so this is what we see in Josiah here. He's trusting and obeying God. So what's God doing? Where's this New Testament love and mercy that we should find right here in this story in the Old Testament? Verse 18. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you, were, when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. It's big. I have heard you, God says. Therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So they took her answer back to the king. God said, God not only sees and hears the sins of the people of Israel, okay, but he hears Josiah. And he sees the effect that is occurring. Notice what God sees in Josiah here. He sees a responsive heart, a responsive and a humble heart. Verse 19, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself. This is where baseball gets it wrong, okay? Because at the post-game interviews, they say, well, why'd you plunk it? It's like, oh, I didn't mean to. I, I, it was just, a, it got out of my hands, you know? Those guys are so good, it never gets out of their hands. Right? Or the guy that charges the mound. Why'd you charge the mound? Well, you know, I had I had a part to play. He had it coming. It's his fault. You know, there's never any humility, right? Football, baseball, any of that stuff. There's no humility. And here's the thing. Without humility in your actions, in your effects, you're just a jerk. Right? I mean, and I'm not talking about us, but when you don't have that humility, you're just a jerk. Steve Jobs changed the world. But you read anything about his bio, he was a jerk. I mean, it was, I mean, everybody, all of us have an iPad or an iPhone or something, and we're, we're kind of thankful for that. But the, the way he treated people, man, it was rough. And so a lot of people said, well, it's okay to be a jerk if, if you change the world. But here's the thing no, it is not. It is not okay to be a jerk. People change the world all the time without being a jerk. It's not necessary. We just give jerks a pass when they change the world. And so we need to stand up to some of those jerks sometimes, regardless of the consequences. Noah wasn't a jerk. Abraham wasn't a jerk. Moses wasn't a jerk. David, Josiah, Isaiah, none of those guys were jerks. Jesus wasn't a jerk. Right? 
And so Josiah brought Israel back to God and did what was right, regardless of what the consequences could have been. The whole nation could have revolted on, it, on Josiah. Now, here's the thing. I'm close with this. We have these effect-effect moments every day in our lives. Sometimes they're small decisions or routine decisions, right? Opening up your Bible, actually reading it to get to know Jesus, not opening it up as a duty, right? That's manly, right? Uh, men uh, lead by having their spiritual lives together so they can lead others spiritually. Friends, neighbors, co-workers, wife, kids, all those people in their lives. Men lead by asking God, asking wise Christians those tough questions, right? And then finding the answers, not just brushing it aside. When you brush it aside, what happens is the world will answer them with an answer that is, you know, believable, but very wrong. And so spending time to further your spouse's spiritual growth in Scripture, your kids, all of that, that's manly, right? Spending a lot of quality time with your, with your spouse, uh, that's manly, Right? And here's the thing. Sometimes there's some major decisions that we have to make. And, and if, you're, if you're like me or have those experiences, those major decisions have huge implications in your life. And a lot of times the decisions have to be made quickly. Like my dad, whether he's going to get into a fight with a gang or not. Sometimes those things come up. And so when you see someone being treated unfairly and you jump in, that's manly, obviously. When you see somebody in danger, that's manly. When, when you know that the danger could be very real for you, but it's the right thing to do, that's manly. When you're in a conversation with someone and you can just hear how badly they need Jesus, and you step up and you say, listen, let me tell you about what he's done in my life, and you can make the decision about whether you want to have a relationship with him or not. That's manly. Men respond to make things right in humility. And God sees all of that. And he loves all of that. So this is the first step to how, to, how, how men lead, right? And so by letting God, through his word, affect you, um, and then affect you so much to where it affects you, and then by initiating and engaging with God, by humbly responding to that God-placed desire to right what is wrong. That is what the essence of a man is. We're going to talk more about sacrifice and, uh, and one other item that I'm excited about uh, in the next couple of weeks. But I wanted to set this up for us. So, and challenge us to be men when those times come. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for challenging us to do what you call us to do, to lead as men. Um, may this word stick in our hearts. May we go back to your word and read about Josiah. May you challenge us to initiate um, to initiate the right where there is a wrong. And we ask this in Jesus' name.